It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Sunday, October 9th, 2022. I'm Ryan Schmelz. Some consider it the most fascinating and unique midterm race in the country as Republicans have a chance to score a big election night win in the traditional blue state of Oregon, as the state's Republican nominee is in a tight race against not one, but two high-profile candidates, including one longtime high-profile former Democrat running as an independent who has been very critical of her old party's nominee. I think there's no question that it's changed the way the race is going and that this is probably closer because of Betsy Johnson. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Between the 2020 election and midterm polling data, Republicans think they have an opening with some minority voters, chief among them Latinos. And whatever the data show, it'll be critical in the next presidential election. The RNC has made long-term investments that are really paying off. We're listening, we're learning, we're growing our party and being a better party. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. It could be the Republican Party's biggest upset on election night this year, and it comes in a state where the party's last Senate victory came in 2002. And the drought is even longer when it comes to the state's top executive. A Republican hasn't won a race for governor in Oregon since the early 1980s, but 2022 could change that. Former Oregon House Minority Leader and Republican nominee Christine Drazen won a crowded Republican primary and now faces off against two well-known names in Oregon politics. One is former State Speaker of the House Tina Kotek, who, if elected, would become the nation's first openly LGBTQ woman to be elected governor. But it's not just Drazen who stands in her way, as longtime Democratic State Senator Betsy Johnson has made an impact on the polls. She's attacked Kotek for being too progressive while criticizing Drazen over issues like abortion. Since recording this interview, Nike founder and billionaire Phil Knight has switched his endorsement. He had given millions to Johnson, but is now backing Drazen and made a million dollar donation to her campaign. I don't know that I would say Kate Brown led to the rise of Betsy Johnson by any means. I mean, Kotek was the Speaker of the House for nine years. She worked lockstep with Brown. I think that one of the biggest uh, critiques that she is facing this year is that she will be, quote, Kate Brown 2.0. Dirk Vanderhart with Oregon Public Broadcasting has covered the race extensively. Kotek makes the argument that she is a, a far more capable administrator, that she will be uh, uh, better you know, served at, at overseeing state agencies and doing some of the things that maybe Kate Brown lacked at. Um, Betsy Johnson is a fairly conservative Democrat. I mean, she she bucked her party on a lot of tax issues, on gun control, on a number of things. And I think she is seeing the state go in a leftward direction that she doesn't like. That's partly Kate Brown. 
that is partly her contention that Tina Kotek is going to be more of the same. And so she made the decision last year to leave the party and run as an independent. And when you when you talk about uh, progressive there, you know, is you, could we argue maybe that Democrats put themselves in this position? You know, we know that Oregon is a blue state, but, you know, I, I don't think we would call it a deep blue state the way that California is. However, you know, we've seen some people you might consider as progressives holding very high uh political office in the state, such as governor and speaker of the House. Um, and, and do you think that progressive policies have maybe wore some voters out? And that's why you see a Republican and an independent getting so much steam here? I mean, that's an argument the Republicans are certainly making. I, I think that there is there is truth to the a couple of things. One, Oregon has uh, problems that people are seeing. People are not very happy right now. That's because the crime has increased, as it has in many parts of the country. Um, the homelessness situation has increased, as it has in many parts of the country, uh, specifically the West Coast. And, and people see that progressive policies have been in place while this is happening. Now, there are a lot of nuances to this stuff, and it's not quite as simple as just saying progressive did this. This is why our prices are are going skyrocket because you, Kate Brown, did this. I mean, I, I'm very hesitant to assign blame for that. I do think you're onto something in that there is an emotional argument that is probably pretty salient for people that these are the people who are in charge. We don't like how things are going right now. Let's figure out a way to do something different. And maybe that's going to leave an opening for a Betsy Johnson or a Christine Drazen in a way that uh, we haven't seen in, in many recent races in Oregon. Well, you talk about that opening. Well, Christine Drazen is the Republican running in this race. Um, and do you think that or her chances of winning and a lot of polling data says that she's, you know, has a very slight lead right now. You could, It's still kind of rated as a toss up, according to Fox News. But, you know, could you say that is this the type of situation where maybe this is just the fact that two Democrats are running and they're kind of cannibalizing each other's votes? Or do you think that the Republicans got the right candidate here? Oh, I think there's, I mean, I think there's a, a number of reasons why this is so competitive. And you're right, there have been four, I think, four polls released in the last week or so. Drazen is up in all of them, but within the margin of error. So it's a statistical tie at this point. It's essentially neck and neck. I mean, there's a number of things, right? Um, we are in a midterm election that is supposed to favor Republicans nationally. I think everyone's still waiting to see the outcome of that. But it is a midterm election, the first term of a Democratic president. That is just the way politics typically go. Um, Governor Brown is highly unpopular, as you said. So people are really motivated. They don't like the way things are going. And yeah, we have Betsy Johnson in office. Now, she I would say that her platform mirrors Drazen's, the Republican, in far more ways than it does Kotex. The one exception being abortion. But and so she's really been going after Republicans as much as Democrats. But there, there is an argument that's being made that Betsy Johnson was a 20 year Democrat. A vote for her is Democratic. And she's certainly hoping that disaffected Democrats go her way. I think there's no question that it's changed the way the race is going and that this is probably closer because of Betsy Johnson. Yes. Right. And, and she's got some very high profile endorsements. Uh, you don't see an independent in the race getting endorsements like this. We're talking about former uh, governors here. We're talking about Republican uh, elected le or former Republican elected leaders. Yeah. I mean, Betsy Johnson, like I said, she's she's the most tenured candidate in this campaign. She spent 20 years in the state legislature and she spent that time making a lot of friends. Her Rolodex is really deep. She knows a lot of people. Uh, a lot of the folks that she's gotten on her team are not current politicians who are more likely to go with members of their party. They're the folks that are past politics, 
like Betsy, think that she can be a unifying force in the way that she's arguing she can. And then there's, of course, Phil Knight, who, you know, he's the state's richest man. He typically backs Republicans, but this time around, he's put $3.75 million toward Betsy Johnson's campaign. We should note for listeners who might not know, Oregon has no campaign finance limits. So essentially anything is fair game here. And that is, by all accounts, the largest donation from a single donor to a campaign that the state has ever seen. Now, let's talk a little bit about Christine Drazen. Uh, she she really came onto the political scene rather quick, uh, rising up to being uh, the minority leader. Um, and she's kind of had a pretty mild tone while she's been campaigning. But she also has uh, been critical of the Democrats in office right now and kind of uh, pointing problems and blaming it on them. But, you know, what what do you think is making her a strong candidate? And how do you think also she's maybe staved off attacks uh, from the far right, labeling her as a rhino or uh, Democrats who might try to label her maybe as an extremist? Oh, she's not staving off those. I mean, th- those attacks are being made now. The rhino stuff. I mean, that was sort of litigated in the primary. This was a primary that had 19 Republican candidates, partly because this is an open seat. Drazen eked out of it as one of the more moderate candidates. Um, she had under a quarter of the vote, but was a, that was able to prevail. So I think the rhino stuff settled itself out there. We are still kind of trying to figure out if the Republicans will all consolidate behind her. In fact, some of her biggest competitors, at least one from the primary, is backing Betsy Johnson, which is a fairly interesting uh, piece of information. But so, so I think the rhino stuff, she's, she's kind of passed. Um, The extremism stuff, though, is one of the biggest hits that Democrats are looking to place on her, partly because uh, she's she's pro-life in a state that has very few abortion restrictions and in which much of the electorate supports abortion to some extent. Um, So, you know, you're right. She has a very limited role in elected office. She spent less than three years in the state house before she resigned to run for this office. She did have a lot of success in that time and proved herself as a sort of hardball politician who was willing to stand up to Democrats. I think part of that is going to be some of the appeals she relies on in this race. And has she had any appeal towards uh, Democrats as well as independents? I mean, that's really hard, right? Because she's the Republican. You know, I think there are disaffected uh, Democrats in the state. There are certainly independents who wish things were going a different direction. But are they going to go to the Drazen in this race or with an independent who's sort of preaching, governing from the middle? Are they more likely to go to the Betsy Johnson? I, I think the answer is probably they're more likely to go to Johnson. All right. And so what kind of message do you think this race sends to the rest of the country? And why do you think uh, people outside of Oregon should be paying attention? I mean, I just think it's a fascinating political race. We we just don't see well-funded independent candidates. Like Betsy Johnson has raised millions, dollar, millions of dollars more than either of the major party candidates in this race. It, it's just a very rare set of political circumstances that I think are, are really going to be interesting to watch. I don't know that it has any prevailing sort of effect on the rest of the country. I suppose if Oregon elects a Republican for the first time, That's a pretty notable thing. We haven't elected a Republican in 40 years. But, you know, I think the political dynamics of this are just pretty amazing. And we should know Betsy Johnson, as of polling currently, has essentially no chance to win. So we are watching as the race gets closer, whether some of the folks that are behind her are going to start drifting toward the margins, toward Kotek or toward Drazen, whichever one they want to win and want to sort of help push over the finish line. All right, Dirk Vanderhart from Oregon Public Broadcasting. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure.
Ahead of midterms, Republicans say they've been making a push to sway Latino voters. In 2020, President Trump gained ground among Latinos. Some exit polling data suggested one in three Latino voters went for Trump, so most still went with President Biden. Last year, the data firm Catalyst crunched some numbers and concluded there was an eight-point swing among Latinos toward Republicans in the 2020 election. In 2016, Trump famously pitched black voters by telling them on repeat after decades of voting for the Democratic Party at this point. What the hell do you have to lose? At his State of the Union speech in 2020, he made a point that he would frequently state on the campaign trail that minority groups were better off with him. And Hispanic American unemployment has also reached the lowest levels in history. Fast forward to today. The polling data ahead of midterms continues to show Latino voters are more often than not in the Democrats' camp, but it also shows the swing continues. The latest NBC Telemundo poll finds while 54% of Latino voters favor Democrats, 33% now favor Republicans. A recent New York Times-Siena College poll found similar results, 56% for Democrats, 32% for Republicans. It's enough for the GOP to see an opening. They announced an ad campaign to honor Hispanic Heritage Month in Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, Texas, and Colorado. Han transformado para muchos el sueño de un futuro mejor en una fantasía. Paid for by the Republican National Committee. That comes after Spanish-language ad buys over the summer targeting Democratic senators in critical states like Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. And the Republican National Committee opened 38 community centers around the country meant to target different minority groups. More than half of them are focused on Latino voters. One of the things that we hear most is that they feel like Democrats take their vote for granted and they feel that Democrats um, have left our community behind. Daniel Alvarez is the communications director for the Republican National Committee. Hispanics were better off, and I think all Americans were better off, before Biden and Democrat one-party control. Again, for Hispanics, during the Trump administration, we had record low unemployment, record high home ownership. And what we're seeing now is insecurity in the economy, rising prices, families are having to make budgetary decisions at home. We are seeing an open border. We're seeing a fentanyl crisis. We're seeing rising crime. I mean, these are things that directly impact minority communities and the Hispanic community particularly. What do you hear from Latinos about that open border situation? I know um, the Biden administration insists that that it's secure, right? Um, but we've just had a record number of people come across the border. We've had huge numbers uh, in terms of seizures of, of fentanyl. And many of those folks who are coming are coming from Northern Triangle countries, Nicaragua, Venezuela, um, mm-hmm. Latinos. And I, I, I know that it's, uh, I know that there's no such thing as, you know, just this, you know, one Latino voter there, you know, it's a very disparate community. There are lots of different voices. So what kind of voices are you hearing on the border? I actually so appreciate you hearing that because as a Hispanic woman, I've been working on these issues for, you know, more than a decade. And I always have to remind people that Hispanics are not a monolithic community. We share a language, but we come from very diverse backgrounds and very diverse countries. So I am so grateful um, that you brought that up. But I will say when it relates to the border, you know, it is a crisis. It's actually devastating. It's not only devastating for 
um, border communities, which are predominantly Hispanic communities like in Arizona or the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, where these communities are having to deplete their resources because they can't handle the influx of illegal immigrants that are crossing the border. And, you know, they're on the front lines dealing with the fentanyl crisis and fentanyl pouring over our border. But the other thing that I will say is when you have an open border, every community in every state is a border community and a border state. It's a humanitarian crisis. It's terrible for the people who are coming across, who, again, you just hear tales of horrific violence uh, occurring. And these Senate Democrats are voting lockstep with Joe Biden. When you're in a 50-50 Senate, everyone has to remember that Mark Kelly is the deciding and tie-breaking vote, that Cortez Masto is the deciding and tie-breaking vote, that Raphael Warnock, the same, that Maggie Hassan, the same. And none of them are willing to break with Joe Biden and his failed agenda. And they have an open border. They have illegal immigrants crossing and they are squarely to blame. Speaking of some of those races you just mentioned, those Senate races, um, like, for example, in Nevada, critical Senate race, right, as, as, the, as the balance of powers at stake here. And Latinos are a big part of Nevada's electorate. And I want to ask you, in light of that, you know, this new NBC Telemundo poll echoes what we have been hearing, you know, that Latinos still prefer Democrats, but by less than they have historically. Um, And this poll found 33 percent now saying they support Republicans. Abortion and health care, Latino votes go for Democrats. Crime and economic votes go with Republicans. That sounds kind of like the national picture. But let's say you do get some more Latinos to come Republicans way. How do you keep them? So actually, in that very poll, it showed that across the board, Hispanics don't differ very much from the average American voter. It shows that the economy and crime are the biggest issues and the biggest drivers as Hispanics cast our vote in this upcoming midterm. The other thing that that poll showed, which is wonderful news, is that over the past 10 years, Republicans have cut Democrats lead with Hispanics in half. So it went from 42 about 10 years ago to 21. Not only have we had great Republicans elected into office and we get to brag about their wonderful policies, contrast that with what Biden and Democrats are doing. But the RNC has made long term investments that are really paying off. We're listening. We're learning. We're growing our party and being a better party. When you bring up Nevada specifically, as you mentioned, Nevada is one of a very diverse state, obviously has a very important Hispanic Latino vote. And in Nevada, they were uniquely impacted by COVID lockdowns because they're a tourist industry. Additionally, in Nevada, a lot of the restaurant and culinary workers, Mm -hmm. uh, Biden and Democrats, just changed the way that those wages are taxed. So they're being devastated not only with uh, the COVID lockdowns that had significant impacts on Nevadans, but also with rising crime and, you know, the inflation that we're seeing because of the stimulus money that Biden and Democrats pumped into our economy that caused prices to go up. But then the Biden administration and Democrats also reconfigured how tips and and taxes are allocated on tipped workers. So it's been devastating for Nevadans. I think that we will see the Hispanic vote in Nevada shift in all the races. Nevada is a really unique state in the sense that we can win the governor's race, we can win the Senate race, and we have several congressional races. I mean, we can take back the House and Senate in Nevada alone. What about keeping it, though? Because that was my original question. What if, you know, what if, let's say Latinos go go for Republicans this time around, and they become this swing block, right? And crime does get better, and the economy does get better. 
do you run the risk of them maybe moving back to Democrats or moving back to caring about some other issues? Or do you just remind them of what you think you've done, what you think Republicans have accomplished in that period of time that you got them? I think it's twofold. To your point, we have to keep doing the work. And we have shown cycle after cycle that the RNC is invested and committed to the Hispanic community. We're on the ground year round. We are present in our community centers. And I also want to take an opportunity to say our community centers are not traditional campaign offices. Our community centers have very unique programming. And we are committed to continuing to do this kind of work. That is also coupled with great Republican policies. Leader McCarthy just worked with the entire Republican members of the House to put forth a commitment to America to talk about what Republicans will do to restore the economy, to lower crime, to protect freedom and parents' rights, to hold big tech accountable and to hold government accountable. I remember speaking with an undocumented immigrant in in Los Angeles. I think it was early 2020. And I asked her, you know, even though you can't vote, who do you like? Because um, she watches, she watched Hispanic news. And she said that um, she was like, I don't know, maybe Bernie or maybe Trump if he doesn't deport me. And I remember thinking, did she just say Bernie or Trump? <laughs> um, and so I followed up with her on that. And she said, well, the economy for Trump. And she was deeply Catholic. I imagine she still is. And abortion, you know, really mattered to her. This this latest Telemundo poll that we've been talking about, it shows Catholic Latinos breaking for Democrats by like 27 points. What do you do with that kind of data? So one of the things that I will say, and you mentioned on the issue of abortion, the first thing that I will say is the NBC Telemundo poll said very clearly that it's economy and crime. And I would venture to say, because we've done some of our own internal polling and modeling at the RNC, that crime kind of fits under a larger bucket of safety and security. And that's where the border piece comes and plays in are the driving issues for Hispanics. But when it comes to the issue of faith and abortion, right, the thing that I will say is we did a poll. We actually were in the field and we had some responses. So it was really fascinating to see the results, some responses before the Dobbs case was leaked and after the Dobbs case was leaked. And so we were able to see how it shifted voters. And one of the things that we saw was that it really didn't shift voters. There was definitely uh, a while ago. But again, the other thing that we saw, which was really interesting, is that Hispanic voters were more conservative than the average voter by two to three points on every question asked. So the first thing that I will say is people conflate the Dobbs issue and they just say you're either for abortion and you're not for abortion. There's actually a lot in between. And the Dobbs ruling allows states Mm -hmm. to decide and allows voters to decide. So, again, it restores that right to voters to say what works best in their state. To your your point, then, do you think that um, some Latino voters maybe have historically voted Democrat because that was sort of the trend that was the vibe? If you're telling me that you you found on the ground that that you were finding consistently that the Latinos you were talking to seem to be more conservative than the average voter, then what's that about then? How how do you make the, the leap from voting Democrat for so many years to Republicans seeing an opportunity with them? I think that Hispanics, by and large, have very conservative values. And I think that when we started being present and investing Mm -hmm. in community centers, remember, our community centers are not just in red districts where everyone agrees with us. We are present in very blue districts. We are present in, again, for the longest time, the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas, 
was not somewhere that Republicans were seeing success. Now we're seeing success with obviously, again, coupling great candidates like Cassie Garcia, Monica De La Cruz, Myra Flores, along with that work on the ground. We have several, we have five community centers in Texas alone um, and two in the Rio Grande Valley. So doing that work and bringing our message has made a world of difference. If you think about broadly what Hispanics care about, the first thing that I will say is we care about the American dream, right? We come to this country and in the case of my parents, you risk everything. You you leave the country that you were born because you want to pursue your version of the American dream, whatever that may be. And so that's one. In Joe Biden's America, we have a very insecure economy, have record high prices. It's been very hard. You hear anecdotally of of small business saying it's really hard to find workers. You know, the Democrats have raised taxes on middle class Americans. And so that becomes more difficult. And again, when you contrast that to, you know, Republican leadership under President Trump that empowered Hispanics. The second thing that I will say is you come to this country And you not only want to live your version of the American dream, but you want to make sure that your kids have opportunities that you were never able to have. My mom, who fled Cuba and came to the United States, she she fled Castro's communist regime. Um, One of my uncles was in prison for 20 years for no reason other than disagreeing with the government. Um, And so my family had to flee Cuba and she came to the United States. She didn't speak the language. She got thrown into public high school in Miami, Florida, and she did her best. But she didn't have the same educational opportunities that she was able to provide for me or that she would have been able to get in Cuba. And so that's incredibly important when you're coming from Colombia, Venezuela, Mexico, Nicaragua, Cuba, wherever it may be. You want to make sure that you not only can live your American dream, but that your kids have the opportunity to be better off than you could ever imagine. Republicans are the party of school choice. We don't want you to be locked in uh, to a public school based on your zip code. We want to make sure that parents have the right to make decisions to send their kids to school that works best for them. It's definitely a leading issue in Florida and Wisconsin. when We're seeing it around the country. Instead, Democrats are beholden to Randy Weingarten and to school union bosses. And it just doesn't work. And on the third issue, and I will say this story. So my Hispanic communications director, he is Colombian. He was actually a reporter in Colombia and he got a hit put on him by the FARC. And he got a call and they said, you have to flee. You have to leave immediately. And he, his wife, And his two daughters came to the United States and he told me, Danielle, it was the first time that I would kiss my wife and daughters goodbye in the morning. And I was certain that I would come home at the end of the day to give them a kiss. Hello, because that aspect of safety and security, which we take for granted in the United States, is something that we often don't have in the countries that we're fleeing. And so when you're talking about Democrat run cities, to fund the police movements, rising crimes, violent crimes, the homelessness. That's very impactful when you're talking about, again, and it's why it doesn't surprise me when this NBC Telemundo poll says that the economy and that crime are the biggest issues for Hispanics, because, again, that crime issue also goes to an open border, an open border and all the fentanyl and the drugs that are pouring in. So I am not surprised to hear that those are the top issues for Hispanics, because in my experience, we want to have economic opportunity, live our American dream. We want to make sure that our children can be better off than we are. And we want safe neighborhoods. All right. Finally, Danielle, one more for you. How much do the results with minority voters 
how much will they be paid attention to by the 2024 candidates? I imagine they'll be a pretty huge factor, even if it's only like in a geographical sense. But, you know, if it shows that maybe some gain, you know, big gains weren't made with certain minority groups, you know, what's the plan? Like cut the losses on certain groups or double down? First of all, we know that Hispanics are the largest growing uh, group in the country. So we have to pay attention to Hispanics. We're here. And I will just say that, like, we know that Democrats are ringing the alarm bells, right? They don't have a year round infrastructure. They don't do year round engagement. It's really funny because I've been talking to folks since I started this job two years ago. We're celebrating some of our community centers have been open for well over a year. And we've been celebrating that in our community centers across the country. But now I'm starting to hear reports like Democrats, you know, have this big ad buy in insert battleground state. And I'm like, well, I understand, but you can't parachute six weeks before an election and be impactful. And so, for example, you know, there was reports that Democrats like Vicente Gonzalez in the Rio Grande Valley cornered the DCCC chair and said, I hope you've learned your lesson. You have to invest in Hispanics. And Ruben Gallego in the Axios Latino event sounded the alarm as well. I mean, even folks I remember two years ago in the post 2020 election, there were Democrat groups that did postmortem reports and said, you know, we are really struggling with minority voters, with black, Hispanic and Asian Pacific American voters. So I think we have to pay attention. I think we have to do the work. And even in 2021, Republicans saw huge gains with Hispanics and folks were paying attention. You know, Glenn Youngkin received more votes than any Virginian in history. And he won the Hispanic and Latino vote by a 55 to 44 margin. Um, In Texas, Republican John Lujan flipped the House district. It's the 118th House district. It's a 73 percent Hispanic district that Biden had won in 2020 by 14 points in McAllen, which is 85 percent Hispanic. It's it's a little town in South Texas. Republican Javier Villalobos flipped the mayoral seat to Republican. And obviously we all know the story about Rep. Myra Flores in Texas 34. It's a predominant Hispanic district. She's the first Mexican-American congresswoman. She's the first Republican to represent the Rio Grande Valley in nearly 100 years. And Hillary Clinton had won that district by something like 16 points. So I think we have to pay attention to the Hispanic community. It's why the RNC has been invested. It's why Democrats have been sounding the alarm on their lack of investment. And I think that we we are definitely going to see it be top of mind in 2024. Now, listen, I'm focused on 2022. We have 30 <laughs> days, <laughs> but I you know, would not be surprised if it is top of mind for candidates on both sides of the aisle in 2024. Danielle Alvarez, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That'll do it for this week's Fox News Rundown from Washington. Next week, we'll provide the latest regarding nuclear threats from Russia. We'll also keep an eye on race data from critical state elections as the fight for control of Congress continues. From all of us here at Fox News Radio, thank you for listening. I'm Jessica Rosenthal from Washington. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.